morning. How are we doing? I'm glad you guys decided to come do church inside because most of our friends did it outside today. Boy, on a day like today, is this not why we live here? Seriously, y'all. Oh, you don't have windows on your house, I guess. It's been a beautiful day. We're delighted to have you join us on this great road trip week of the year, right? This great Thanksgiving. This is, you know, I spent the entire week explaining to my children how Thanksgiving is not a global holiday. Anybody have that conversation this week like nine times? Like, wait, in England they, no, no, they don't. No, well, that, they're Americans. Well, no, actually we're English. Never mind. It's a long, long story. This is the day we celebrate how Native Americans taught us how to survive, right, in the wilderness. And how do we do it? We do it by laying down the most preposterous carbon footprint possible, right? We fly, we jet train, drive all over the planet to go see people who don't really like us anyway. <laughs> okay, so we have some things in common with Thanksgiving, right? I like what Dimitri Martin says. He says, my favorite holiday is Halloween. He says, because you don't have to go home and celebrate with your parents. It's not like you have to catch a flight back east and say, yeah, I gotta go trick or treat with my parents. <laughs> I got to take two costumes because they're divorced. You know what I mean? Right? You get it? Halloween or whatever. Thanksgiving is just one of those obligatory things. And honestly, I have to be, have to be totally straightforward with you. I'm so relieved when it's over. It's always like, we put the bird away. We're done. And it just seems like smooth sailing after that. And then Christmas comes at you, right? I, it's a surprise every year how that happens. But here we are. But welcome. We are, uh, we're about to begin a four-part series that begins next Sunday one of those great seasons of the church called Advent. The other one would be Lent, which is much longer. That's in the spring. That builds to Easter, but Advent builds to Christmas because it's not terribly easy to get back inside this profound reality, which is that God became human in the man Christ. And so it takes us about four weeks to push through the Amazon Prime list past the where's the delivery to how do I keep my kids from unpackaging the right thing and you know, going through the closet to find out what they got for Christmas. It takes a bit of time to go from that to, oh, and Christ is born. Oh, and we're not far. Oh, and he's terribly near, right? So we're gonna begin a series, a four-part series starting next Sunday, which we will end on Christmas Eve Eve, which um, we're gonna do again this year. We've always done a Christmas Eve Eve. I think it's half because we wanna keep your Christmas uncluttered with church, let you do family, but it's also because when you're trying to rent space to do church, the one night of the year that nobody's using their churches on the eve of the eve. So when you're a little church plant shagging around town trying to figure out where to do stuff, not everything's booked on the eve eve. So anyhow, we're going to continue that tradition this year. We're going to bring in a bunch of you and then have food and then bring in a bunch more and then have food and just kind of do that on the Christmas eve eve. But building up to that, we're going to start next week a four-part series that's going to deal with the scandalous humanity of God. I love that sentence because I don't think we think that way, and yet that's the reality that we have to get back inside. We're going to look at that through the eyes of the prophets, through the eyes of the magi, through the shepherds, and through the virgin mother of Christ. So that begins next week. But right now we're in this little two-week lull between a long series and Advent. And so last week Jen shared um, one of those, kind of those boulders in the stream that kind of changes the direction of the flow, if you will. Um, if you don't, if you haven't heard it, if you didn't hear it, go back and catch the podcast. Um, I've got some good news for us today, but I want to build on what Jen talked about last week. You know, it's unenviable to preach on Thanksgiving weekend. Trey pointed out this week how he always gets the, the you know, the, the scraps. He always gets, he's preached Thanksgiving weekend for like every year in the history of ANC, he says. 
I think he's being dramatic, but whatever, the point is well taken. It's an unenviable task to speak on a major holiday, but it's especially complicated and cruel to speak after Jen's magic traveling show and the words she spoke last week. You better bring your A-game. Listen, you better have Portuguese-speaking contortionists and little chihuahuas on fire jumping through pink hula hoops to keep anybody's attention after that. So, but here we are. The story of the church, right? Jen's history with the church is not unlike mine. Um, Mine wasn't as cool, perhaps, but it spanned about six denominations, as I can count. Um, Two different countries, four different decades. It's a terrible, amazing, painful, hopeful, wounding thing to gather with people and commit yourselves to the common good and to the call of being the body of Christ. It's an interesting journey. If you've ever been behind the curtain, you will remember that this thing that's supposed to bless can often hurt and wound and confuse and can often become the very reason people can't hear uh, from God at all because the whole category becomes sullied with ego and pride and metrics and self-protection and all of those things. You know, periodically I wonder to myself, if organized church is so hard to get right, so hard to build in a way that doesn't constantly wound people, right? If it's so hard to do it, to build it in such a way that doesn't eat us for trying hard, why are we doing this? If it's so difficult to do right, what are we doing? Why do we bother? What's the point of all of this? Is any of this actually worth it? Are we actually being transformed? Is the world actually being transformed indirectly through what we do when we gather? You know, it's entirely possible, perhaps not likely, but possible at least, that Marx was right. This has become the opiate of weak people gathered in large groups around the world who need to be taught how to think. I'm not saying he's right. I have a much higher vision of the church than that, but it's a fair observation It's a difficult and terrible thing to say we're going to do something together and we're going to stick together through the doing of that thing. It's not an easy journey. Why do we fight so hard at ANC? Why do we fight so hard to make it viable? There's dozens of options in this city. Some of the great churches in America are here in our town. There's wonderful churches producing amazing Sunday services. What do we have to add to that? Some of them are so good you can catch them from your TV screen or your laptop screen on a Sunday morning. You don't even have to get out of bed. What could we possibly add to that option? It's an alarming question if you're a pastor. Probably hasn't crossed your mind if you're not. But it scares me to death sometimes. Here's the thing. Some churches distinguish themselves by what they do when they gather. I mean spectacular services. You know, camels and donkeys and elephants for Easter. I've seen it with my own eyes. That's an undertaking. That's called rebuild your entire stage for an elephant, right? Similarly, hundreds of charitable organizations have very sophisticated ways of affecting real good and actually changing the world. We are actually trying to be proficient at both of those things, which, as it turns out, is not all that easy. You know, there's a reason why there's dozens of program-based churches that are thriving around our city, but they're completely siloed and separate from other dozens of organizations that are doing good, real good, alleviating real suffering in the world. What we're attempting to do is meaningful, it's innovative yet ancient, and it's a hybridization of those two impulses, to gather and to be sent, to gather and to be sent. We try to do our best when we gather, we hire great bands, sometimes the criminal moment on a Sunday morning is actually asking the band to stop so we can get up and say a few words, because they're that good. But we, do, we, we put a lot of 
thought and effort into this space in which we tell and retell and retell and retell our stories because we're forgetful people and because I need you to tell me who I am and I need us to tell me who we are. But for us, that impulse that comes through the benediction that says now we must go into a world and be the kind of people we're trying to become, it's always those two things together. It's never one of those two things. It's never one of those things separate. And if we are to be a sent community, one that sees its mission is absolutely essential to our identity, which is how I would describe us, then we're going to have to make room for the reality that contentment and comfort are not always going to be the result. Hang with me now. It's very unlikely that it's always going to be the natural byproduct of what we do when we gather, that we all feel wonderful and warm and affirmed and like everybody just gets us and we're so understood and life is so good, right? Let me give you a little list of things that I would describe are also the byproducts of community of faith. You ready? Discomfort, irritation, frustration, even anger and pain will occasionally result. But none of this is a revelation to you. You've been here. Your eyes are wide open. You're part of this. What I want to remind us of this week is that the way we handle and navigate our shared life together becomes the transformation that we take to the world as evidence that God is real and love transforms. And if we can't live that transformation as a people, we've got nothing to share except an invitation to a service, which is so terribly empty these days, is it not? It's almost impossible to describe to someone why they should even come if it's not to be connected to that community that has grown with us and grown us through tough times in our life. You see, this is where we get to practice forgiveness. Make no mistake, you don't master forgiveness overnight. It's a muscle that must be developed, right? This is where we get to live in unity. This is where we get to build muscle memory around honesty and healthy conflict resolution and hard conversations and humility and the deep theology of interdependence around acknowledging that we are incomplete without one another. You know, it's not enough to say we're better together. It's just, I would prefer to say it this way. There is no us unless we're together. There is no complete without you. It's not that we're better if you're with us. It's just not, we're, we're not we without you. You get the difference? That's a theological assumption about the way the world works. And this is where we get to practice that in the dynamic of this community. One way to understand this might be to say this. We make space to listen to one another as we listen to God, and then we figure out ways to do good work together. And that's the gathering and the sending. Those are the two impulses. Those are the two battery terminals that power the machine. We gather, and then we go. We listen to challenging gospel together. We restory our lives. We move away from old narratives into the new story, and then we go and we do something about it together. And that's the whole thing wrapped up in a single idea. James, as it turns out in the New Testament, talked about this very thing to the young church at Jerusalem. And let's read together from James 1. It's entitled, it's got the little caption, it says, Listening and Doing. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Boy, if you could take one sentence out of the scriptures, that might be a good start, right? That's a tough one. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now watch verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his or her face in a mirror and then after looking goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, notice how it says it gives freedom, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this is James, the kid brother of Christ, the younger brother of Jesus, one of the giants of the first century church, and he's, up, he's unloading a miscellany of, li- of things, uh, his wisdom and his perspective on the local church. This is after some years of ministry, and this is a bit of a shotgun shot into the body of Christ. This is not a rifle shot. He's not addressing a single issue. He's basically unloading his thoughts about the local church. He writes from the perspective of a pastor, which is why I love him so much. It's as if his members of his church were hard of hearing, easily angered, and all too willing to run their mouth off at one another when differences arose. Boy, am I glad things have changed. All right, let me be straight. If there was an indictment list and there were charges to be brought up against me in the last three weeks, here's how it would read. Hard of hearing, easily angered, and willing to run his mouth off at anything that doesn't fit. That's the script, guys. Very little has changed. He makes a a powerful, almost comical point with this mirror analogy, and if it wasn't so close to home, it would almost be funny. The person who looks at their reflection in a mirror and then promptly walks away, forgetting what that reflection looked like, is pitiful. And it's me. And it might be you. One translation reads this way. It's like the person who hears what God thinks of them and then walks away and goes right back to to what they think of themselves. It's a fair rendering of that text. James's basic argument is this, working backwards from the end of this first chapter. He says this, whatever we think religion means, it means nothing if it doesn't begin with taking care of the weak and the poor, the abandoned, specifically the ones who will never be able to repay us. Religion is useless if it doesn't figure them in first. And back to the beginning of the chapter, point number two, in whatever life situation it takes to make us realize that this is what pure religion is, including struggles and trials and hardship and loss and challenge and virtual impossible task of taming the tongue, whatever it is that puts us in a position to become more like Christ is to be accepted as a gift from God. He understood that the organizing principle of the community of faith was action, it was mission, it was service specifically of the poor and of the abandoned. And he knew that if we didn't keep that dialed in, that we would implode under the weight of our own organization and ongoing challenge of loving each other through tough times. If there were no tough times, there would be no New Testament. If this was intuitive work, there wouldn't, we wouldn't need thousands and thousands of words of reminders of how to dial it back to freedom, dial it back to love. We would fall under the weight of the own organization of what it means to gather and be God's people if we lose track of mission is what James is trying to say. So let me speak to you as your pastor this morning. How many of you guys joined us since we moved to this location in January? I actually want to see a show of hands. Look around, y'all, old timers. Raise them high, y'all. Raise them high. This probably means if you're visiting, you're on that list too. We're a brand new church, you guys. We don't even know who 
we don't even know what it means to speak to ourselves. Can I be that honest with you? When we address ourselves, we think we know who we're talking to, and boy, sometimes we prove we have no idea, right? We're still trying to crunch the data of the church that we're becoming, and we're still in that wet concrete stage. We're still becoming. And if you're new, you may not know this, but the whole church is practically new. This is essentially ground level. So welcome to the, old, the beginning of your old-timerness, I guess. We've learned a bunch lately about how community actually works in the last couple of weeks. We've learned a lot about what matters to us, where the triggers are. We've, we've gone through one of those situations where something in the room moves and everybody pulls and everybody's drawn on somebody, and we've had to back away slowly from that self-defense mechanism. I'm just going to be honest with you. Jen tickled it last week. I'm just going to say it. Some of you may have thought that what Jen was talking about last week was some sort of catastrophic moral failure. It was a moral failure, all right? Here's what we did. We designed a process to bring new people onto the board, and it was janky and clunky. We didn't think it all the way through. We've always built our board by saying, hey, you'd be awesome. Would you serve with us? Here's what it means. We're trying to get out of the basement and quit eating Hot Pockets and playing Fortnite for a living. We're trying to grow up. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to grow up as a church. And so we come up with this idea that seemed to make sense to us, and we pulled the trigger on a process not knowing how deeply representation matters to our community now. It's a genuine surprise to me how, how visceral we feel now the question of representation. It was news to me that anybody even knew what the board did or when we met or why it mattered. And so our failure was one of sequence. It was one of process. People got hurt. We had to slow down and everybody had to put their, their, their side pistol away and, and back up and say, wait a second, no one means anyone any harm here. Let's have this conversation. Let's take it slow. Let's move one at a time. We've learned a lot about ourselves through this. We activated some triggers. We thought it was a hose. It turns out to be 48,000 volts, right? We ran a drywall screw through a wall and hit an electrical conduit and lit the place on fire. We activated some pain and some PTSD and now it's time to demonstrate that we actually believe what we've been telling ourselves for years, that this is about unity, not unanimity. You see, it would be super easy to reorganize. Well, just reorganize. Just make people uncomfortable, reorganize so everyone's comfortable. Yeah, except that this is not the work of the kingdom in the world. It does not have our comfort built in. It's going to be, by definition, a very difficult journey. Here's what's at stake for us. If we opt out and say, this is uncomfortable, I can't have that hard conversation. I don't want to face that person and ask for forgiveness. What's at stake? Our own transformation, which is the point of all of this. Boy, I've been reminded of that this week, these last couple weeks. Here's what I've learned after following Jesus for what is my entire life. Everything that needs to actually happen happens in the stretch zone at the point where we can barely tolerate another inch, another second, another email, that's where the growth happens. That's where the cardinal moves come out. That's where the liturgical nature of our training of understanding how community works just flows. This is where we get the car keys, not the phone. We go have the conversation. We don't text it out. We do it face to face because in, at the very bottom of all of this is love and transformation and either we're committed or we're not. You see? The place where things turn into growth and development is in the stretch zone, which by definition is not comfortable. So much to be thankful for this week. In the language of James, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. 
everything that produces in us Christ-likeness and forgiveness and love and grace and patience. Everything that does that is to, be, is to be accepted as a gift from God. And if it makes us look more like Christ, if it opens our squeezed fists, if it helps us lower our defense and actually listen, then it's to be embraced as a gift from God. What we've been going through has driven me deep into the resources of goodness and kindness and forgiveness and conversation and love and grace and optimism and ultimately back to mission, right back to our identity as a church. This, these things, the winds of opposition, the winds of change ought to drive us back to, to what, is the, what is the key DNA strand that we're trying to build. And let me tell you, it is mission. It's the simplest answer to the following question. Why are we here? Why do we do this? Why does this matter? Would anyone in this neighborhood notice if we closed it down and built an apartment tower here? Here's what I know to be true. If we don't turn to mission back from conversation about who we are, if we don't turn back to mission and to why we're here in this city, we will implode under the weight of needing to agree on all of the details of everything we think and believe and how we act and vote, and you know the rest. Organizations fall on themselves. It's the natural way. It wouldn't be because we're evil or we're malicious. It's because we've lost track that we exist for a common good together, and that is our mission in the world together. I've said it every way I know how to say it this year. Ours is not an average community. This is not a normal project. This is not just a church. We're trying to be the sent and the gathered at the same time. Shared belief is not strong enough to keep us together, guys. It just isn't. It's not glue enough. It's not strong enough. Mission is. And a common calling to impact people is. That will keep us together. And for us, community has always been the fruit of a focus on mission. If there's anything about this little church that has captured your attention, if there's anything about the full frontal way that we engage one another when we have disagreements, if there's anything about the unfiltered way we talk about what's rising in us and we own those responses in that anger, if there's anything about this little thing in this little part of the world that resonates with you, here's my challenge. Be all in. Be 100% in. Don't hesitate. Jump. Run, don't walk. You hear me. What we're doing here actually matters. There are people's lives at stake that don't yet know how deeply God is moved by their pain, how deeply and completely God loves them. It matters. This little church has always mattered in a weird way. Tomorrow at the same time, I'm going to be sitting down with my boss, Teresa Wellborn, superintendent of this area of the UMC, and we're gathering some strategic thinkers from around the conference. And the one question we're asking ourselves is this. You ready? Does ANC have another birth in her in 2019? Can we do this again? Look around you. Nobody listens. Look around you. I'll look over the glasses if I have to. Look around you. There's no room in here. We're the hermit shell who picked a hermit crab who picked a small shell. So the question that's burning on my mind about 2019, we're going to start strategically thinking about this. Do we have another ability in us to birth? Is it ready? Could we do this in another part of town? Obviously, it's going to look completely different because South Lamar is South Lamar. It's not the same as other suburbs. Do we have in us the ability to pilot a missional group of people to land deep on the east side where English is the second language? Do we have the ability and the vision and the capacity in us to do this again, to take an old building and to restore a space for mission and for the gospel and for the common good of the neighborhood? Could we be instrumental in a multi-year, all-city vision to let none of these places go, bring them all back to life? That's the question I'm asking myself.
And please hear me. This is not about church growth. This is not about growth for the sake of growth. I'm not talking about us just doing big because somebody's ego needs to go big. Look at the size building we picked. That's obviously not on the agenda. I'm talking about you very likely, very soon, having to tell people you love deeply. I love you. My church would be amazing for you. They would welcome and love you, but don't come because you don't fit. That's what we're having to look at. Now, maybe these are new ideas for you. Maybe this isn't what keeps you up late at night. I can guarantee you it's what keeps me up late at night. Looking at people who desperately need to be part of a community to challenge and to grow and to push and to shove them into transformation and to call them into newness of life and to call them into freedom and blessing and grace. We're looking at a capacity issue that don't fit. So where I was looking at this, the bishop asked me recently, where do you want to be in five years? I said, exactly where I am. He says, that's a rotten answer and you know it. And I'm like, I know. Don't mess up my life. This is perfect. I love this little place. It's perfect. And just on time, in perfect poetic fashion, here comes the side wind where we have to dig down deep and lock eyes and say, I'm not going to leave you. No one's left behind. We're going to stick this out. We're going to ride through this turbulence together. And it's not because we agree. It's because we love. Jen said it so good last week. There's nothing to add to that. But these aren't your questions. Your questions are, are very much about you. My questions are, where are we as a community? How do, we, how do we be faithful to what God has done here? But the questions facing you directly might be something more like this. Is it time for you to partner? Is it time for you to say, I'm all in? Is it time for you to email Trey and say, hey, I've been in the category of kicking the tires for several months. Move me to the category of partner. I came through the class. I'm all in. It's got my attention. Let's do this. Maybe that's where it begins for you. It's that move from listening to action that James describes. It's the move from consuming to being part of the team that steers and thinks and dreams and envisions a new way of doing this. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty convinced that 2019 is gonna be a big year for us. What do I mean by that? Well, we're growing up. It's time to broaden the diet. Hot pockets aren't gonna do it anymore. We're working out the kinks and we're done, I'm done. I'm done saying, well, our systems are janky because that's just how we like to do it. No, we need to create some systems because God is doing something in this place. It's time to figure it up, quit offering excuses, build the right kinds of teams, bring the right kind of expertise in and say, let's see where the wind takes this. It's time to do that. And we need people like you who will grow through growth pain with us, who will stay in the game, who will say, I'm all in because it matters. It's transforming me and it will transform lives of other people. Oh, I hope you can hear me today. Andy Stanley said years ago, if you misplace your mission, maintaining your model becomes your only mission. And it bores me to tears. Not even interested. Let's not misplace it. Let's focus. Let's hunker down. But growth requires letting go. Requires embracing some hard stuff. But I don't regret a single conversation I've had over the last month. I'd like to have it all back. Sure, I'd like to roll the clock back and do some things differently. You better believe it. Because people I love got offended and got hurt. But when I look in the rearview mirror at what we have just come through, I'm proud. Because you know what? We had those conversations. None of them were easy. But here we are. Here we are. Let's move from listening, from contemplation, to action. Let's track the wind in 2019. Are you with me?
Does that resonate with you at all? Four of you? Let's pray. <laughs> That's how you dissipate pressure. You crack a silly joke, right? Let's pray. Stand, down, stand to your feet. Band, join me on the stage. <laughs>